Our scripture reading today comes from Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, North Cross. That's nice and loud. Hello to Jean. Jean's under the weather, so she's back home, and I told her to keep hitting that like button. <laughs> so um, she's doing her part. Uh, you'll see in your bulletin uh, the title of the sermon is Listen and Live. Listen and Live. So I'm going to give you the main point of the sermon right now. Um, that way, if something happens, you'll know what the main point was. But if you just get the main point in your head, you'll miss the real point of the sermon. Here's the main point. When God speaks to his people, there's always a promise embedded. When God speaks to his people, there's always an embedded promise in what he says. In fact, you could say that the uh, creation of the world has an embedded promise inside of it. It tells us in Ephesians that before the, he, before the foundation of the world, he chose us in him. There's a promise embedded in everything that God does and in everything that God says. Now, you'll see the outline. The outline says an invitation with a promise, uh, an inquiry with a promise, and an instruction with a promise. Oh, my gosh, they all start with I. Um, each of those types of statement has a promise attached to it, literally or, or right in the same sentence here. But it doesn't matter what God says, what type of sentence he uses, there's always an embedded promise. For example, when God laments, as he did in uh, Luke 15, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? You see the promise there that even as he laments over Jerusalem, He's longing to gather his people under his wings. Also, when he confronts, uh, in Genesis chapter uh, 3, uh, when Jesus confronts Adam and Eve, he says, where are you? Implicit in that confrontation is the fact that God's out looking for them. There's a promise embedded even in his confrontation. When he comforts, we read earlier, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's a promise embedded. And even when he curses, as he did in Genesis 3, 14 and 15, he cursed Adam and he cursed Eve and he cursed the serpent. And in, in that passage, he covers them with animal skins. 
um, implying the first sacrifice, and he implied the bruising of Satan's head by one of Eve's offspring. So, so each time God speaks, there's a promise embedded. So today, in this passage, God is speaking a promise of love to you, so give it a listen. We listen not just so we'll check off a box, an obedience box. We listen because there's a promise there for us. There's something that God is trying to press into our hand, into our heart. So everybody settled on the, on the main point? Okay, good. An invitation with a promise, verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Here he appeals to our thirst. Here God appeals to our thirst. And what he means here is our God-given desire. Our desires are all muddled up. Sometimes our desires, uh, with a little d, get us in trouble. Um, sometimes they're just second best. But they're muddled up and confused. What God is talking about here is appealing to our thirst, which is a metaphor for our spiritual thirst, something as close into us as a thirst. Have you ever wanted something so bad that you didn't know what it was? Ever wanted something so bad that you didn't know what it was? This Christmas, this happened to me. Uh, I was settling in. We were open gifts, and I was uh, fully prepared for a box of T-shirts or maybe a cordless nasal hair trimmer. <laughs> Something practical. That's what I was looking for. And I got this box. It was from Emily and Jonathan. And I opened it up, and it was a really nice pickleball paddle. I didn't know I wanted that so bad. Um, um, it made me feel... It connected me again with that desire to be athletic, to move and to pop that pop a ball, uh, to make a score a point, to move around. I didn't even know I wanted it. Now that's a that's a little illustration of not knowing you wanted something, and when you get it, it opens something up inside of you. Even more so with God, the promises that God gives you, sometimes you don't know you want them until you get them or you realize them. And that's going to be true of each blessing that he gives you through a suffering or through a, a success or even through our death, we're going to wake up to a promise we didn't know we even wanted and didn't have words for. Now, in this passage, God invites us, the invitation with the promise, he invites us four times, come, 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 uh, come um, and buy without money. Now, there are invitations all throughout the Bible. The Bible is maybe a book of invitations in some ways. In Matthew 9, when Jesus calls Matthew, he said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He came to invite. John 10, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I will give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Revelations 3.20, um, a classic uh, invitation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone 
hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Even in the Old Testament, my mind went to this one, the valley uh, or the vision of the valley of dry bones that Ezekiel saw. He, God took him to a place in a vision where he saw uh, this valley feel, filled with, um, with skeletons, dry bones, all broken apart. And God said, prophesy over them and see what happens. And he's given him a model of what happens when God speaks his words. And the scriptures tell us that when uh, Ezekiel prophesied that invitation to even dead bones, the bones rattled and came together, sinew attached, skin covered them, breath came into them, and they lived and they stood on their feet and they were an exceedingly great army. God invites us. He invites us with um, his life and his death. The promise here, imitation with a promise, the promise here is of water, wine, and milk. God is inviting us to a need that's as close to us as our thirst. What is that? What is it that our hearts really long for that sometimes we don't even know? The water, milk, and wine are, of course, metaphors of that thing that we want that will satisfy. What are they metaphors of? Now, I'm going to leave that question a bit hanging. We're going to get to a a more articulate description of it in verse 3. But let your heart wonder, what do I really want? What is that? Sometimes we don't want enough, actually. C.S. Lewis, I probably read this passage when I was 18 or 19 years old, and it's one of uh, Lewis's quotes that stick with me. And it's, He kind of turns things on its head. I was used to my desires being something I should repress, and Lewis flips it on the head. Listen to what he said. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak, We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are too too far easily pleased. Verse 2, an inquiry with a promise. He asks us a question in verse 2. Why do, you, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And why do you labor for that which doesn't satisfy? So here's a, here's a question. It's a bit of a confrontation. It's a bit of a curious question. What, is, what, 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 what do we do with that? And where's the promise in that? Now, the point is fairly easy to see for smart people like you guys. Uh, The point is, why do you spend your life on things that aren't of the value that you want? Uh, Why do you spend your time, so much time, on YouTube? Shopping. Why, why, Why do you do that? And the point here is, you know, why do you spend your time and yourself on things that aren't valued. Now, it's convicting. Here's another point. You cannot, work with me here, you cannot not want bread. 
You like double negatives? Gene loves double negatives. You can't stop yourself from wanting bread. He's making the point that you can't stop wanting spiritual bread. Let's just call it. You cannot not want God's love. You can't do it. You can't not want God's approval. That's sown into you. It's baked into you. You can't help being spiritually hungry. But tragically, there's a terrible truth here. What you can do is you can be deluded enough to substitute the real thing with a counterfeit. Now that's scary. Um, the thing you want, you can substitute something lesser. There's all sorts of counterfeits, but I'm going to name one. Rather than desiring God's gift love, we often pursue a different kind of love. That is a love where you feel like you've earned, one that you can control. Have you ever tried to make someone love you? Have you ever tried to make someone love you? That's kind of the history of my middle school life, is trying to make someone <laughs> love me. Let's say someone forgot a special day. Somebody forgot a special day of yours, and it hurts, and you want to make them want to love you on that special day. So do you say to yourself or to them, after all I do for you, on your birthday, I, why the least you could do, the spouse down the street, you know what they did for their spouse? Boy, if I had known it was going to be this way, well, I'm... Now, what you can do is you can make someone feel bad. You can make someone feel guilty. You can make them do stuff for you because they don't want to hear this anymore. But you can't make someone love you. What you really want is someone to choose you to love you because they want to and just give it to you. But we counterfeit that, counterfeit that with a controlling mechanism where we try to make people love us. We try to buy love. Sometimes we do that with possessions. We try to dress up or drive the right car or have the right accomplishments. We call that idolatry. We spend ourselves trying to purchase that which can only be given, and we do it with God too. Now, it's, this, this is not right grammatically, but it is scary powerless to wait for love to come and then to receive it as a gift. But gift love is what we are made for, and nothing else will satisfy us, and that's what God is promising us here. What's the promise embedded in verse 2? Well, it's implicit. Isaiah is saying that there is real bread and real satisfaction that is free. Why don't you ask for that? Roman numeral 3. An instruction with a promise. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food, incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Now here comes the second main point, diligent listening. That's what the ESV says. 
not just listening, but diligent listening. Now, what's diligent listening? Some of you know I'm a counselor. I've been doing it for over 30 years. I did the math, and I probably have 20 to 30,000 hours of conversation with people. Yeah, somebody said, hmm. So I'm what you call a efficient, trained listener. <laughs> In fact, I am so good at listening, so efficient at listening, that sometimes when my wife Jean is talking, sometimes I'm done before she even finishes talking. <laughs> That's how good I am. I'm walking out the door, and she says, wait, I'm not finished. And I say, I got it. <laughs> Don't worry. Way ahead of it. Uh, put up that cartoon. I want to show you that this is not my idea. This is where I got this. I was looking for quotes on um, listening, and I ran across this. But it's a, it's a great opposite of what diligent listening is. Fast listening is the opposite. Fast listening is fast, and shallow, and therefore it's closed, guarded, or defensive. And I will explain that for a minute. Now, this is, the, this is the practical heart or nugget of the sermon. Um, fast listening. We listen for a space where we can talk. Or i.e., where we can feel more comfortable, or we listen for a space where we can change the subject, or maybe we lighten it up if it's too intense, or make a little bit of an escape. So we listen for a place where we can feel comfortable. For example, how many of you during the meet and greet time go up to people that you don't know their name and you ask them their name, and you're busy thinking about how you're going to say your name, so you don't hear them say their name. That's fast listening. I'm in my head practicing. My name is Rod Roger. I am Roger. <laughs> I went over and greeted Brent and his two boys, and I was so delighted when I looked down, Oliver had a name tag on. <laughs> I, saw, I thought, this is going to be good. So I said, how you doing, Oliver? And then I looked over at Sydney, and I could, he didn't have a name tag on, which I wasn't expecting, Sydney. <laughs> so I had to ask him. We don't want to feel awkward. And so we don't listen for what people are saying. We listen for a place that will make us feel less awkward. It's not so much in that name thing that we think our name is more important than the other person's necessarily. We just don't want to fumble the interaction and look stupid. So we're looking for a way to feel comfortable. And all interactions are risky. You, have you ever heard the principle of Maslow's hammer? Sometimes they call it the law of the instrument. You may have heard the saying, to the hammer, the whole world looks like a nail. Right? Another way of saying it is, Give a little boy a hammer, 
and he will find all sorts of things that are in need of pounding. <laughs> and that's the way we are with listening. We look for a comfortable place for us to steer the conversation, and we're not listening, we're trying to be comfortable. For example, if you're a person more comfortable with logical assessment and not so comfortable with emotion, anybody like that in here? The women are going. <laughs> so your friend comes to you describing a hurt from someone else, and they tell you about it, and you don't want them to hurt. But you've been to hear all these sticky emotions. And you get kind of squirmy. I'm hurt, and why don't they love me? And it seems like this has been this way all my life, and you're kind of going, right? So you say something like, well, probably the other person didn't mean it like that. Maybe you just are oversensitive. That really helps. And the other person says, you never take my side. And you go, no, no, that's not what I meant. And now there are two of you with sticky emotional feelings, right? You're looking for a place to comfort. You're uncomfortable with emotions, so you stick with the reasoning. Or maybe you're a person that's the opposite. Maybe you feel more comfortable with emotions than with dry cognitive analysis. So when someone tells you about a hurt and sadness, you listen for an opportunity to pounce with empathy. Oh, that sounds hard. You must be devastated, completely and utterly devastated. And the person goes, no, I want to figure out why I'm so overreactive. We look for the place where our hammer will fit the job, and we listen that way. Now, obviously, I hope you know this, there's a place for both assessment and discernment and reasonable analysis, and there's also a huge place for emotion. They're not bad. We need both our emotions and our minds to live whole, but I'm not really listening to you when I'm scanning for a comfort for me. Another example, I'll just run through a few more. Where, where do you typically navigate a conversation? Well, a fixer will fix. Sorry about losing your job. Have you tried essential oils? <laughs> a doer will do. Heard your car's in the shop. I made you a casserole. A relator will find a story to relate. Sorry about your brother. But you know what? That happened to me. Actually, it happened to me twice. A resource or a resource. Let me get you signed up for 10 tips for any situation seminar. A joker will joke. Oh, that one shouldn't be in there. It's okay to joke. <laughs> a joker will find a place where they can feel like they're lightening it up it makes them feel more comfortable. Now, again, there's a place for fixing. There's a place for empathy. There's a place for doing. There's a place for uh, relating. There's a place for all those. The question is, are you listening? Are you using your gift, whatever your gift is? Are you using it to be able to comfort them 
or to be comfortable for yourself. Now, fast listening is the opposite of diligent listening. And what, this, what Isaiah is asking us to do is to diligently listen to the, what, what God is saying for, to us and to listen for the promise. Listening, is slow, listening diligently is slow. And often when you listen like that, you don't know what to do. You don't know what to say or feel. You'll be confused and sometimes you feel powerless. Listening diligently is to be affected by what is being said or given to you. To be affected. Most of your interact most of your interactive behavior is defensive. Should I drop the mic? <laughs> Let me say it a different way. This is a little bit lighter. You're guarded a whole lot of the time. Your guardedness doesn't look like um, big standoffish anger. It just looks like for you uh, avoiding what's hard for you and going to something easier and not sticking in there with what's hard. And that's, if, you, if you'll, most of our interaction, I, I've been, I have been counseling for 30 years, and I'm always surprised by how defensive, guarded I am in the counseling room. It's still there. It's a long learning curve. So take what I said about your being defensive and just say, is that really true? What does that mean? And I think it'll open your eyes to possibilities for listening that you've maybe not seen before. Diligent listening is the opposite of defensive. It's open. It's trusting. Now, I can do a much better job of defining what diligent listening isn't than I can of defining what diligent listening is. It's a lot like trying to describe to someone or teach someone how to enjoy a joke. So here's what you do. You do your shoulders like that, and you laugh. Ha, 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 ha. And then you just get the joke. Well, what? It's hard to, hard to teach that, and it's also hard to teach a lot of the things. It's Hard to teach someone what remorse is or what forgiveness is. Uh, same way with diligent listening. It's open. It's trusting. I had a friend of mine. He was watching a game. <clears throat> it was an important game, as they all are. <clears throat> he had his popcorn and his drink and his, his team hat on. Um, and... Right at the crucial part of the game, which is, of course, anytime the game is on, <laughs> his wife comes in and stands at about a 20-degree angle to the TV. And she has something she needs to talk to him about. And so the way he tells the story, his eyes never left the TV. And his wife told him a few sentences. And then she says, are you listening to me? And he looked at her, and he verbatim said back to her, what she said to him. And of course she said, oh, now I feel listened to. Um, diligent listening is letting yourself be, not only get the test right, be able to spit it back, it's being affected by it. 
And it almost always comes at an inconvenient time. It's being affected by it. It's being um, penetrated, if you will, by what's being said. That's the parable of the four, four soils. The good soil was the one that they all heard the word of God, all four types of soil, but the good soil received it and it took root inside of them. We got to let, when we're, when we're good listeners, we got to let something take root inside of us. And that's a very vulnerable, risky, scary thing to do because you don't know how long it's going to last. You don't know where it's going to take you. Now, this is a really interesting idea. We don't have time to develop it. But maybe people, human beings, are made such that um, our insides are made such that we're to receive things that are bigger than ourselves. People are bigger on the inside than they are on the outside. Uh, otherwise, how could we have Christ in us? How could we have the Spirit inside of us? Um, you think about Mary. She literally took the Word of God into her and it rooted inside of her and it produced the Savior. Maybe that's what we're meant for, is this very thing that we're so scared of doing. Now, the examples that I gave you about uh, fast listening and diligent listening were all about people. And of course, this passage is about listening to the Word of God, not to people. But a lot of the, a lot of the same principles apply. It's just scarier to let God in. You don't know what he's going to do. He wants more for you than you want for yourself, and it's a little bit scary to do that. I spoke with a, um, a client in the last couple of weeks, and I asked her for permission to share this. And she, um, she, she's been around Christianity a long time. She's done, she's read the books, she's done the seminars, she's had the quiet times, she knows the scripture, and um, you know, part of their story is she got hurt by um, a group of people that had read the books and did the seminars and did the quiet times. And it's kind of made her, it's not kind of, it's made her cynical and hard, her words. And so we started talking about, she said, but I want to hear God. I believe he does talk. And I don't want to. I don't want to move away from him, and so um, I asked her um, what she thought that would involve, and I thought she gave an answer that uh, is really applicable to what we're talking about here. So I said, "So, if you were to listen, what would it look like? If you were to believe or to accept what that God is doing something in you or speaking to you, you know." People throw in that all the time. God told me. Um, that's how about 70% of the girls broke up with me in college. <laughs> My retort was, well, he didn't tell me. Um, you can throw that around pretty lightly. And she was afraid of that. She was afraid that of other people doing that, she's afraid she would do it too. Here's what she said. She said, well... I guess you need to notice that something is happening and you need to take it in somehow and you need to make a response. I thought, 
that's pretty good. Can I use that in my sermon? Um, Now, I know that sounds kind of simple. Notice that something is happening. Take it in and make a response. Then I ask her, so what does taking it in mean? That's kind of like that, you just get the joke part. How do you take something in? You, you can't. And she, she made this motion. She said, she said well, you, do, you don't stiff arm it. You, you, you let it come in. And I asked her to do it again because <laughs> I wanted to see it. And then I did it with her. If you want to, you can sneak a little. You can do this right now if you want to. You sneak it up. There's something sometimes about acting something out that makes you understand it uh, through your motions or senses that you can't quite get or feel or apprehend with your brain. And so she made this. So taking it in is more about trust or willingness and vulnerability than it is about technique and analysis. Many of you can read this passage and tell me what it means, but that's not the same thing as taking it in and letting it actually take root in you and grow. So let me read that again. Diligent listening is more about trust, willingness, and vulnerability than it is about technique or analysis. So... Can you put up that scripture, the last verse? I like having you around. Uh, I need this at home, right? Uh, when I'm talking to my kids, this would have been great, right? Could you put up that rule about the uh, cleaning up after the kitchen? Thank you for that. So let's do this together. Let's notice. Uh, let's take it in best we can, and then let's uh, make a response. So the verse says, let's, let's do the second part of that. Um, you know, that there, there, uh, that's it. Um, incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast love for David. So what do you notice? Well, you know, th- this is not a, um, I'm not asking you to have some kind of uh, ecstatic opini- uh, experience. God is asking us, telling us to listen, and he's connecting listening with life and a certain kind of life, an everlasting covenant of love like it was for David. That's what it says. Noticing sometimes helps if you do it twice. He's asking us to listen and connect that to a life, the kind of life that is an everlasting covenant or promise that like he did for David. Take it in. God is promising you something that maybe you don't know you need. How do you take that in? How does a mortal take in everlasting, for example? How does someone who's so seeped in trading for love take in a kind of, that, by the way, for you, those of you that come to Sunday school, sure love is the word hesed. Right? Sure love, that, that, gift, that gift love that God gives to us. What does it mean to take that in 
and what would it be like to live with that going on in me? How do I take that in? And then make a response to that. I'm going to tell you what my response is. I did this this morning. I wrote this down this morning. And I almost chickened out. Um, Because in it I confess a fear. It may not sound like much, but it is. It's part of my stiff arm to God. Part of me, when I think about taking this in, my response is fear. I'm afraid that if I believe this promise or open myself up to this promise, that I won't hear anything. There'll be silence. And so part of me just wants to know what it means and move on. Not take it in, not open up to it. And then the second fear, first fear is that I wouldn't hear anything. And the second fear is, I would hear something. And it might take root in me. And I don't know where that'll go. Um, And my other part of the response is to tell you my fears. Something normally I wouldn't want to do. That sure love for David, David wrote in Psalm 17, a prayer to God, and he says, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. You know what that, you heard that phrase, apple of your eye? You're the apple of dead. What that really means is that center part of your eye, that pupil, that's the apple of your eye. And David was saying, God's got me right there. And if you think about it, when you look in someone's eyes, if you're close enough, you'll see yourself there in the reflection. And David is saying, that's right where I am. So the other part of the commitment is I'm going to try to imagine and think and pray that I can see into God's eyes and see a little Roger in there. That's where I am. That's where my life is. So that's my response. I'd like for you to I don't trust people to do application after the sermon. So I'm going to make you to I'm going to ask you to make an application right now. What's your response to this scripture? I'll give you about 15 20 seconds. Now, if you didn't make a response, you kind of did a grocery list during that time or something like that. You need to write it down in your heart. My response was to not make a response. And that's part of being honest with God, too. So um, make a response. Now, we're going to turn in our, our service now to the Lord's table. And what we have here is bread, wine, and juice, just like we talked about in this passage. The invitation is to come. Now, I didn't make a big deal out of the verses about no price, come without money, um, um, come without price. But when we do this table this morning, we're remembering the price that God paid for our ability to have 
everlasting love with him. We're remembering that. And we're literally taking it into ourselves. <clears throat> so today as you come forward, remember that the price was paid. And remember that life that is beyond our heart's weak desires is promised in this table. So listen diligently to what's being done. Participate diligently and take him in as we do the table. Let me pray for us. Father, we are here because we theoretically and sometimes heartfeltly confess that you speak to us, that you invite us, that you ask us, that you promise that you've made something for us. Pray that you'd help us believe that, take a risk, take a gamble on that uh, today, and that we'd listen so that we might live. In Christ's name, amen.